This week on Viewpoints. The half-life of caffeine is about six hours. And so that means that if you have a double espresso at 4 p.m., at 10 p.m., you still have a single espresso in your system. Struggling to sleep? These mistakes could be throwing you off. Then... It is kind of odd, isn't it, that we are so fascinated by these people that we're never going to meet and that we want to talk about them and know the latest thing about them. The psychology behind celebrity gossip. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. You've got advanced prostate cancer, but you're not waiting around. You want to straight talk to facts about a Govix. Or Govix Religolix 120 milligram prescription tablets is a treatment for adults with advanced prostate cancer. Fact. Orgovix is a different kind of androgen deprivation therapy treatment, a pill, not an injection. Orgovix may cause serious side effects, including a heart condition called QT prolongation. Tell your doctor right away if you feel dizzy, faint, have a racing or pounding heart or chest pain. Orgovix can cause harm to an unborn baby or miscarriage. Use birth control during treatment and for two weeks after Orgovix treatment. The most common side effects include hot flushes, increased blood sugar and blood fat levels, muscle and joint pain, decreased blood hemoglobin levels, increased liver enzymes, tiredness, constipation, and diarrhea. Other side effects include weight gain, decreased sex drive, and erectile function problems. Orgovix may cause infertility. Talk to your doctor if infertility is a concern for you. Go with a Govix. Ask your doctor. For more facts, visit GoWithTheFacts.com. Are you struggling to sleep these days? So are millions of other Americans. Experts estimate that more than 70 million people in the U.S. don't get adequate sleep. And about 30% of individuals say that they suffer from common insomnia symptoms like not feeling well rested and struggling to fall asleep or stay asleep through the night. Many adults know this feeling all too well, those frustrating hours spent tossing and turning hoping you can get some shut-eye in order to not feel like a zombie come morning. In desperation, some people turn to sleep aid medications, relying on them for years. However, Eric Prather says that before turning to drugs, there are other small incremental life changes that can make a big difference. Prather is a psychologist at the University of California, San Francisco. He's also the author of The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. He says that before filling out sleep aid prescription, try switching up how you view sleep. Some of this has been related to kind of pharmaceutical sleep aids and concerns about chronic use and what it might mean for brain health kind of in the future. And so it has become increasingly more challenging for patients to get those prescriptions, though certainly many still do. And, you know, a lot of people use sleep aids, whether it's over the counter or by prescription. And in acute settings, those aren't bad ideas, right? I mean, they're developed for a reason. They do tend to help people fall asleep. And many of them don't have severe side effect profiles. However, the challenge is that while they might not be physiologically addicting, they almost immediately become psychologically addicting. Instead of prescribing medicines, Prather has helped hundreds of patients improve their sleep through the use of cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, usually it's people that you know are experiencing kind of stress in their life or something happened, but 
it happened a while ago. And so over time, you know, the stressor may have gone away, but now their sleep is completely off track. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when people experience things in their lives that are stressful, their sleep is disrupted, which is natural. And we're kind of built for that. We need to kind of act oftentimes when those things are happening and we can put off sleep, but people will get distressed about the fact that they have lost this sleep and they'll try to make changes in their life to get their sleep back on track because sleep has become really unpredictable. They find themselves chasing it. I always say that sleep is something that we never even wonder how it works until it stops working, then become really focused on making it happen. But oftentimes we're kind of getting in our own way to allow something that you know happens naturally that kind of washes over us. And so in our clinic, we spend a lot of time trying to reschedule people's sleep and taking out these barriers, taking out the guesswork and the effort, because that's usually what is ensuring that people have these kind of prolonged awakenings and disrupted nights. For people with insomnia, Prather focuses in on adjusting some key basics. Often one big culprit is caffeine. Caffeine actually stays in our system for quite a long time. The half-life of caffeine is about six hours. And so that means that if you have a double espresso at 4 p.m., at 10 p.m., you still have a single espresso in your system, right? And so no surprise that it can impact your sleep. Caffeine as a chemical actually competes with what we think is kind of the neurochemical that builds up in our brain that uh, brings on sleepiness. So it competes with that on the receptors in our brain and kind of allows us to maintain alertness despite the fact that we continue to be up and that sleepiness neurochemical, which is known as adenosine, just keeps building up. And so it helps us stay alert, but we certainly suggest that, you know, maybe curbing caffeine use, not after lunch. And if you, you know, are having some sleep problems, maybe cutting it out altogether is kind of an easy strategy to see if you can get your sleep back on track. This same tactic also applies to when you're eating. That indulgent late-night snack right before bed could be sending mixed signals to your brain that it's not quite time to snooze yet. Another one that is really important is things like meal timing. Our body needs to know when to be ready for making insulin and storing glucose and all of those sorts of things. And kind of you know, the timing of those meals help regulate our clock, which is why you know if you experience jet lag, and you're in a new place, say you go three hours east, oftentimes you'd want to get kind of on the eating schedule of that place that you're in because it'll help tell your body what is happening next. It'll help it adjust more rapidly. Another part of good sleep hygiene is having a set bedtime and wake time. As frustrating as it might be to abide by, it's important to set firm limits on when it's time to get out of bed and get moving. We want people kind of to wake up the same time seven days a week because that helps entrain our circadian rhythm that we talked about, as well as kind of setting in line your sleep drive to kind of build up across the day. And then we want to make sure that people aren't spending excess time in bed, not sleeping. One of the things that happens is that, you know, people begin to kind of lose this relationship with the bed such that they experience what's called a conditioned arousal. Like they get in bed, they might be sleepy, they get in bed and then their brain wakes up. And that's a really common experience that we hear from people with insomnia. So we really have to retrain the brain so that the bed is something that brings on sleepiness. And what that requires is kind of removing yourself from the situation, waiting till you're sleepy again, do some relaxation exercises, what have you, and then get back in bed to kind of build up that conditioned response. Because the bed turns out to be like a really important trigger for bringing on sleepiness for people who don't have sleep problems. And we need to get back to that. 
However, Prather knows that this isn't a possibility for everyone. That's the general principle that it's kind of a place for sleep and sex is what is what we say. But, you know, I mean, we also have to kind of understand that not everybody has that luxury. So, you know, I work in San Francisco and a lot of people live in studio apartments where their bed is their couch, is their table, is their office desk. And, and we have to kind of figure out how to meet people in the middle to try and do whatever adaptations we can to amp up that sleep experience. But I think in general, if it's possible, yeah, you want to protect that environment and kind of invest in that night of sleep because it's certainly going to have a big return on investment the following day. If you live in a tight space, try to get out first thing in the morning. Go for a walk or grab a drink at a coffee shop. The main goal is to get out of bed and train your body to know that it's time to wake up and get going. But this can also be harder lately as much of the country shifts into the colder winter months where there's not as much morning sunlight. Also, what commonly happens around the change in the seasons is kind of an uptick in things like seasonal affective disorder and depression. And, you know, sleep disturbances are fairly common in that context. And one thing that people do when they are low in mood is they might spend extra time in bed, not sleeping. And when that happens, it can lead to kind of lighter, more fragmented sleep overall. And people become distressed about the fact that they're not getting the sleep they need. And that can, in theory, generate what would be considered an insomnia that needs treatment. For people who do seek professional help, Prather says that many patients come in holding an all-or-nothing mentality on sleep. It's either working or it's completely broken. Instead, he believes people shouldn't have such a stark outlook. There are many small factors that feed into the issue, and this type of black-and-white thinking doesn't help. You know, I always try to remind people that we're kind of built for resilience. I mean, talk to any parent of a young child, you know, they're missing sleep all the time, but your body will compensate, you know, like a bad night of sleep often just means that your next night is going to be better, that it's going to be kind of more restorative. You're going to sleep deeper because your body's going to try to make that up. Right. And that's just how the system is set up. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Eric Prather, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also check out his new book, The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest, now available online and in select bookstores. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, from TMZ to People to the Daily Mail, why is celebrity news such big business when Viewpoints returns? Ray Maliazzi here for eBay Motors. Okay, easy now. You're teaching your kid how to parallel park. Ouch! <laughs> Turns out he likes to do it by feel. <laughs> Don't worry, eBay Motors has bumpers, taillights, trunk lids, license plate holders, 122 million parts. Pull up just a little bit. And headlights. <laughs> They've got lots of headlights. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBay Motors, let's ride. An Oral-B electric toothbrush delivers a professional, purifying clean feeling. So if you want a round brush head inspired by dentists. Come and get it. And if you want a brush that cleans 100% better than a regular brush for cleaner teeth and healthier gums. What you waiting for? 
Oral-B is the brand dentists worldwide use the most. So maybe it's time you... Come and get it. You get it. Oral-B. Brush like a pro. Will they find a home? Sponsored by Geico. Steve is intrigued by the paranormal. Otherworldly spirits really make a house a home, you know? Janice has different taste. I'd like my house to not be haunted. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle home and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Steve and Janice found a renovated Victorian that's only haunted from 9 to 5. Okay, wife's home. Y'all gotta bounce. Bye, Steve. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. If you're a pop culture nerd, there's a good chance that you stay up to date on some of your favorite celebrities. Whether you're reading up on the Don't Worry Darling drama, the Kardashians cheating scandals, or guessing who Taylor Swift's new album is truly about, there's always some new juicy story breaking. While modern gossip columns and tabloid magazines are relatively new, this practice of following scandalous stories dates back to the Roman Empire. In ancient Rome, like around the time of Julius Caesar, there were probably people gossiping about what the emperors were doing and what their wives were doing. But the only way we know that that happened is because after they all died, a historian called Suetonius wrote this history of the Caesars that people would say was very gossipy because it included details about their private lives. So one definition of gossip is talking about the private lives of public figures. That's Sharon Marcus, a professor of English and comparative literature at Columbia University. She says that celebrity news gained ground in the 1830s and 40s as print newspapers became more popular and information spread quicker. The public began to learn new tidbits about celebrities, like who they were dating or where they were traveling. This flow of news only sped up when cameras took hold in the 1920s. Private celebrity moments were now splattered across newspapers and magazines. Jump forward to today, and this format has grown into a multi-billion dollar industry. This growth has left some critics wondering, why do people care so much about such salacious news? It is kind of odd, isn't it, that we are so fascinated by these people that we're never going to meet and that we want to talk about them and know the latest thing about them. I think the reason why that happens is we're tricked by our prehistoric brains. Back in the old days when we were evolving, if you knew a lot about somebody, it meant they were socially important to you. They were somebody that was part of your day-to-day -day life, and you had to know whether you could trust them or not, whether they were a cheater, and so on and so forth. And if you knew a lot about them already, it made you want to know more. The problem we have with celebrities is we know so much about them already, and consciously, we know that they don't matter. We're not going to meet them. They're not part of our life. But the fact that we know so much about them presses those buttons in our brain that makes us want to know more. That's Frank McAndrew, 
a professor of psychology at Knox College. He says that gossiping about people, even those who aren't famous, is human nature. However, there's something about celebrity gossip specifically that's more tempting. Unlike people you know personally, talking about celebrities rarely has negative consequences. For one, whatever you say likely won't get back to them. And additionally, you aren't personally affected by any of the drama you're discussing. Plus, being in the know on the latest drama can even help in social situations. And it's kind of a segue into a real relationship with people. So in some ways, keeping up with celebrity culture, it's a social skill. It's a way of being prepared to connect with other people on a level you might not be able to connect with otherwise. When we go to parties, we like to gossip about people that we know in common. Well, if we're going to a party where we don't know anybody, the icebreaker is to gossip about celebrities that you both know in common. And that leads to, you know, perhaps a deeper relationship. So I think society, celebrity culture is one of the kind of the glue that holds us together in some ways. But when does it cross a line? In recent years, websites like Dermois have gained a sizable following. These sites encourage followers to submit blind items about celebrities. This is gossip submitted anonymously without any type of verification. While some posts are innocent and include sightings of celebrities out and about, other submissions contain sensitive details about stars' personal lives. While this allows anyone to be a paparazzi, Marcus says it opens up a new can of worms. It is so much easier now for multiple people to be the sources of this gossip. And most of all, the the market for the gossip, the audience for the gossip, has now also become the producer of the gossip or the commentator on the gossip. So there really didn't used to be the ability of all the people who read the news to tell other people reading the news what they thought about it. Social media has given rise to celebrity gossip in recent years, but it's also altered how they're seen in the public eye. Some public figures, specifically famous influencers and YouTubers, post so much that fans feel like they know them. But the more that's shared, the more content there is to gossip about. Plus, there's now comment sections, Twitter threads, and Reddit forums where people continue the conversation. McAndrew says this is all fairly normal until it reaches an unhealthy level. I think it becomes unhealthy when you cross that line where you're starting to cause trouble either for yourself or for other people. So maybe you've gotten to the point where you start stalking the celebrity. You keep sending them messages. You stand around outside of their house or where you know they're going to be having dinner. So you're starting to become a pest or you're so obsessed with this celebrity that you're spending your time at work thinking about them and reading about them and communicating with people about them and not getting the job done. So I think it's fine until it isn't. While not many people take it to these extremes, Marcus does point out that viewing this type of content can have an effect on your psyche. There's a lot of mixed up emotions of admiration and envy combined. And I think there's always an impulse to say, like, these people who seem so great aren't so great. Or these people who have it all are still unhappy. So I don't have to feel bad that I don't have it all, because even if I did, 
I wouldn't have all my life problems solved. Like there's a lot of people project onto celebrities that can end up making us feel bad about ourselves and gossiping about celebrities is a way to salve some of those wounds. He says it's important to remember that public figures are also human. While they may not see what's being written about them online, it's possible for a few comments to expand into a false narrative that can be hurtful. In the end, the main driver of celebrity subculture is to entertain people. It's an industry that has persisted for almost 200 years because it taps into human nature. A lot of times when I do interviews about this, the slant that's taken is that there's something wrong with people who like to gossip, that it's a character flaw of some sort, and that they're shallow and, you know, I'm above all that. I don't do that. It's a very natural part of who we are. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, you only get in trouble if you do it poorly. So I think of gossip as a social skill rather than a character flaw. To find out more about this topic and our featured guests, Sharon Marcus and Frank McAndrew, visit viewpointsradio.org. You can also find Marcus's book, The Drama of Celebrity, on Amazon.com or request copies to be stocked at your local bookstore. For more behind the scenes, check out Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by associate producer Grace Galanti. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. You've got advanced prostate cancer, but you're not waiting around. You want your straight talk to facts about a Govix. Orgovix Religolix 120 milligram prescription tablets is a treatment for adults with advanced prostate cancer. Fact, Orgovix is a different kind of androgen deprivation therapy treatment, a pill, not an injection. Orgovix may cause serious side effects, including a heart condition called QT prolongation. Tell your doctor right away if you feel dizzy, faint, have a racing or pounding heart or chest pain. Orgovix can cause harm to an unborn baby or miscarriage. Use birth control during treatment and for two weeks after Orgovix treatment. The most common side effects include hot flushes, increased blood sugar and blood fat levels, muscle and joint pain, decreased blood hemoglobin levels, increased liver enzymes, tiredness, constipation, and diarrhea. Other side effects include weight gain, decreased sex drive, and erectile function problems. Orgovix may cause infertility. Talk to your doctor if infertility is a concern for you. Go with Orgovix. Ask your doctor. For more facts, visit GoWithTheFacts.com. This is Viewpoints Explained. I'm Ebony McMorris. Have you bought a lottery ticket in recent months? Lately, it seems like Powerball and Mega Millions winnings just keep going up and up. Earlier this month, the Powerball lottery jackpot hit $2 billion making it the largest prize in history. The lucky winning ticket was sold at a gas station near Los Angeles. Between 2016 and 2022, there have been four drawings where the lump sum has exceeded a billion dollars. So what's driving these massive payouts? You might assume that as more people play, the prize naturally gets bigger. But there's more to the story. In recent years, lottos have kept adding numbers to the pool that the public can choose from. This lowers the odds of winning because there's a larger distribution of possibilities. On top of this, these commissions have also been pushing more money into the main jackpot rather than the smaller prizes 
for partially correct tickets. The hope is that more people get lured in when they see that big flashing number. In fact, the odds of winning this recent $2 billion drawing were 1 in 292 million. Let that number sink in. That's Viewpoint Explained for this week. More in a moment. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. In Ireland circa 1923, there was a civil war raging. Though The Banshees of Inishirin, the latest film from writer-director Martin McDonough, is set in Ireland in 1923, it's not focused on the Irish Civil War. Sure, occasionally some bombs go off in the background, or the town chatters of a war nearing its end, but the film itself is focused on a different kind of war, one brewing on a small island just off the mainland, when one man, played by Brendan Gleeson, suddenly decides he is done being friends with his drinking buddy Parek, played by Colin Farrell. Initially, Parek wonders if he did something, or said something regrettable while drunk, but his old buddy assures him it's nothing like that. He insists he's simply grown tired of Parek. From there, things really spin out of control. McDonough, who's most known for his work writing and directing three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, as well as In Bruges, which also stars Gleason and Farrell, uses his script for Banshees to explore the complexities of male friendship and ego. What would you do or say if your friend suddenly wanted nothing to do with you? Conversely, how far would you go to cut off a friendship you feel is no longer serving you? Bitingly funny, but also genuinely sad, the Banshees of Inishirin absolutely exceeded my expectations. With a laser-sharp script fully consumed by these new frenemies and all of their tumultuous interactions, McDonough manages to explore the ties that bind us together, as well as the forces that pull us apart. The Banshees of Inishirin is now playing. I'm Evan Rook. There's nothing like the smell of grandma's cooking, especially when it's coming from your new kitchen in your new home. When you're ready, Rocket Mortgage can help with loan options to fit your needs, some with as little as 3% down to help you get into your new home and kitchen. Then you can let grandma break it in. So when it's time to buy that house and make it home, Rocket can. For more information, call 888-900-0409 or visit rocketmortgage.com. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 330. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. 
Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.